This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Dustin Dula. And that's a pretty cool name. I can't think of anything mean to say about it. All right, Dustin, this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. I've been listening to the Major Spoilers podcast. Podcast. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. In... This issue, Christian and Dina come to TV and Ten Bucks says they're centered out of existence. Jay's is banned. Jan was unavailable for comment, but I think she was making out with Jaina at the time. Jackson should have never taken that left toy in an Alderaan, Kirky. Guys wearing skirts versus machines and pants. Girls without shirts giving no one a chance. Time travel hurts when it kills your romance. Motion in the ocean, his hose broke. He was in a jam with a giant clam. Everybody had matching towels. So Katy Perry, Mark Twain, an alien, a horse, a blonde, a rabbi, two drunks, and a topless woman walk into a bar bartender says what is this some kind of joke and john bender fell out of the ceiling i look down the bar i says to my bartender i said look man come down here i said look man what time is it he said it's the time of the season for the major spoilers podcast on the air hey everyone welcome to another episode of the major spoilers podcast how is everyone doing hello all you future people Hello, There's Rodrigo over there and Matthew people. over there. Matthew has two seconds of the past. Yeah, because of is. the delay. I am not in the past. I'm in the future. Hello, past yes, person. Compared to Matthew, we're about eight minutes into the future. Yes. All right. This is our first show back together <laughs> as a group following Nerdtacular 2011. Past. Such a wonderful time had by all. If you missed that episode, go back a go back a show. Mm-hmm. We talk about Nerdtacular. Lots of fun. We're finally starting I to see it. all of the pictures coming in from Nerdtacular. We'll mm-hmm. maybe uh, post a few. Here and there, or at least post a link in the uh, Twitter feed for those of you that follow us on Twitter. And if you don't follow us on Twitter, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to be a part of the complete major spoilers experience. You don't have to follow us on Twitter. You don't have to follow us on Facebook. You don't have to be in the forums. You don't have to download both the Critical Hit and Major Spoilers podcast, though if you're listening to this, you probably have downloaded the Major Spoilers podcast. You can do whatever you want. Pick and choose whatever your flavor of Major Spoilers is. But if you do want the complete experience, and get on all of that stuff, and we'll post little messages on Twitter, we'll post mm-hmm. stuff on Facebook. We have some still some exclusive photos up on uh, Facebook that you can't find anywhere else of uh, some statues that you can uh, use for wallpaper on your iPad or mobile device, mm-hmm. or just on your computer if you like. So fascinating, so wonderful. We had a great show today, tonight, tomorrow, depending on when and where <laughs> you are. Hello, future people. <laughs> We I are am, all, I'm we, caught in a temporal show, loop. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to be talking about time travel hmm. a little bit later in this show with Stan Lee's The Traveler. We've got some individual reviews, some gaming, some comic bookie. But right now, why don't we get to some news? Wait, what? We're going to get to some news. All right, we got a couple of seconds in the past. We've got some television news of a pop culture comic book nature. 
We've got the DCI saying Jason Mystic are banned from Standard. And Evangeline Lily joins The Hobbit. Let's uh, spin that de- Wheel of Destiny and find out which one it lands on. One, two, three, or four. And uh, two and three powers television four, series. Three, and two, David four, Goyer putting the 100 bullets for showtime. Oh, here it is on number three. DCI says Jace and Mystic are banned from standard. Rodrigo, what is all this crazy talk? Okay, so... Um Standard, okay. Magic: The Gathering is a card game, Steven. right? Okay, and um, it is a it is a, a very widely played card game, and it has different formats. Okay, standard is everything that's happened, all the cards that have come out basically in a year. Okay, um, and so when they say a standard tournament, right, that just means that this, means this all, past year stuff, yeah, or everything, right? Right, uh, basically, or does that depend on the tournament? Yeah, it's it's basically two. Two non-core sets and a core set most of the time due to the way things that cycle in and out. Sometimes you get more or less stuff in there. But anyway, it's it's the smallest amount of cards okay. of any tournament okay. style. Okay, so without a standard, you have nothing? Um, No. Basically, you have standard, then you have... um Extended, and mm-hmm. then you have Legacy. Oh, so... And you have okay. other formats in between. But, basically, all of the ones that I mentioned afterward incorporate Standard in them. Like it's, oh, okay. Uh, extended is Standard plus more cards, and Legacy is Standard plus Extended plus even more cards. So, uh, this is kind of a follow-up from a story that we talked about a, a while ago. Mm-hmm. Give us another quick rundown of, of uh, who Jace and Mystic are and why they are, are being banned from right. Standard. Jace... Uh, the the card that we're talking about is uh, Jay's the Mind Sculptor. It's a Planeswalker card. Planeswalker cards came out, uh, I think, two years ago. And um, yeah. they are brand new cards, a brand new card type. They're very powerful. They're meant to be very powerful. They're meant to kind of change the game when they hit the board. They have all these abilities that you can use without spending mana on them or tapping them or anything. And kind of have their own rules tied to them. Um... Jace, the Mind Sculptor, because there's actually another Jace um, that that is not banned. He's Jace the Barber. Actually, he's Jace Bellerin. It's just his oh, actual okay. name. Um, that card was <laughs> Jace basically the was one of Hulk Hogan's cronies back in the day. The the, the reason why uh, cards get banned is because everybody's using them. Usually, the the quickest way for a card to get banned is if it's so good. That even decks that aren't playing that color are splashing <laughs> what it's called when you only put a little bit of that color into your deck to be able right. to play it. If decks that aren't even using that strategy or playing that color have to have that card in there in order to win, in order to compete, mm-hmm. then that card usually gets banned. So, so this Jace is just too powerful of a card. It is. It's an incredible facilitator is what it is, basically. is like whatever deck you have, you can put Jace in it and it'll make it better. Mm, with with very yeah. little drawback Everything other is than they have Jace. Basically. Well, okay. The other Jace card has one more power than the other planeswalkers too. He does. He's he? the first he's the first planeswalker to have four abilities instead of just three. Mm. One of which, really the one that's wrecking everything, is he has uh, planeswalkers operate on counters. They come in with a certain number of counters. Right. And you can use a small ability to give them another counter or spend those counters on other abilities mm. that are more powerful. Yeah. Usually they come in with an ability that gives them counters, 
a small ability that takes away counters and is a little bit more powerful, and then a super duper ultimate ability that you know when they have a ton of counters, you just remove them all and then do that. Okay, and you can only put or and like Jace's, add or remove a counter once per turn, basically. Right, and uh, but Jace's superpower is like, oh, I just won the game for all intents and purposes. Not, not quite. The thing, the thing about Jace is that you can basically always draw the card you want, which in a game that is based on, um, well, I mean, and 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 his super duper power is, but a lot of the games that Jace is winning don't even get to that to to him using his super duper power. Okay. Um, because what he does is he just takes the randomness out of your deck mm-hmm. and that's, and that is why he's wrecking a game that is basically half skill and half luck. If you're taking the luck right, out right. of it, take the luck out of it. So mystic, right? Stoneforge mystic is another card. Um, eight, hey, Steven, my laptop's not plugged in. Can you plug me in real quick? Oh, I think so. Rodrigo. Thanks. So, uh, stone. Yeah. I just got a message here and it's like, you're running out of power. And I was like, what? No. Yes, no. All right, I think I'm plugged in now, thanks. All right. Um, uh, Stoneforge Mystic is a card out of Zendikar block, where basically it's a, it's, a little, it's, a, it's, it's a little gal, comes into play, searches an artifact for you, puts it in your hand, out of your library, and then has an ability where you can spend some mana, and she'll put that artifact into play for you. Hmm. That was not a huge problem up until this newest set gave us a, a card called Sword of Feast and Famine, which every time you hit somebody, you untap all your lands and they discard some cards. Basically, Stoneforge Mystic, Sword of Feast and Famine, and another card called um, Squadron Hawk have are, are this trifecta of, of doom that everybody's playing. And I think, basically, the DCI looked at this deck that is so dominant and set, which usually, by the way, includes Jace, because every deck includes Jace. So they looked at this deck and said, what card can we take out of this? Can we ban so that people can still play this deck, but it won't be as, you know, dead on every time? So yeah. they took out the card that allows you to search for the other pieces of the deck. Okay, I see. Why? Well, I've got a theory, but why mm-hmm. create these two cards in the first place? Well, the 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 thing about magic design is that you know, they they make them and they play test them. I will create Excalibur and unleash it upon the world. Oh, wait a minute, that was such a good idea. Well, and that's and that's kind of the deal and and there's actually a really great article up right now that uh, on uh Wizards website. Okay. Um uh wizards.com/magic um, and you go to their daily MTG thing, and they talk about it. But um, basically, what it comes—it's—it's—it's it's a, it's a bunch of things, you know. First off, they don't want to make cards that are super overpowered like this, so they—they they play them and they play test them. But they are a bunch of people, as opposed to the millions of people who play Magic. So they might miss some interaction that might blow up at some point. So that's understandable. The other thing that they talk about is that they can—they can make cards that aren't obviously not overpowered and surely not overpowered but then they're just making the same cards over and over it's that um that risk factor that thing where it's like is this card maybe too powerful that pushes the game forward and sometimes it pushes the game forward too far and they have to for all intents and purposes artificially pull it back but you know for like again you know sort of feast and famine squadron hawks and 
Stoneforge Mystic, the only reason why these cards are so powerful now is because of the other cards in the format. If one of these cards had been printer had been printed a long time ago, like mm-hmm. a long, a, a lot longer ago, right? Um, it wouldn't be an issue because they wouldn't be in standard together. Mm. Really, it's just kind of oh, that, because of the way the cards have lined up, right? Yeah, because yeah. of because these three cards come out of different sets mm-hmm. within their own sets, they're not that problematic, right? But combined, but combined. When when you Separate, get just yeah. it's kind of yeah. like when you have the three of us in a room together, exactly the awesomeness is right. unparalleled. Well, right, it, you might as well ban it. But, and here's the thing: in <laughs> in formats that have in formats that have a longer lifespan, like extended and legacy, mm-hmm. this isn't as big of a problem because there are other cards that can very easily deal with ah. that strategy. But in standard, since there are fewer so, cards, you don't have an answer to it. So you can still use Jason Mystic in the extended in, in and the, the other legacy, ones. Yes, correct uh, games. Um, but how often do you well, use extended question. and legacy in tournament play? It, there are there are extended tournaments and there are legacy tournaments, okay. just like there are standard. So, tournaments. do we know how many yeah. of these Jason Mystic cards have been printed up? Oh, there's tons. And, oh, are there? And, so it's a pretty common card. No, they're actually Jace is a mythic rare, which is a little bit rarer than rare, right. and then Stoneforge Mystic is a rare card. Um, I think I I cracked when when uh and cracked means I opened the, the mm-hmm. thing and, and got got one out. Um, when Jay's first premiered. I got one in a pack and I sold it for thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. So I paid fifth. I paid what five bucks for a pack and sold a card out of it for thirty. Yeah. That's when it first came out. They were going for. I think I sold another one because I found another one that I had and I sold it for sixty bucks. Wow. Well, it was still yeah. and that's that's cheap. That's on the cheap side of Jay's. I sold it to six for sixty bucks to a friend. Oh, okay. that's how expensive yeah. that card got. Now that it's well, been banned think? from standard, it's probably going to drop in price. Yeah, but people are still going to want it yeah. because it's so powerful. Okay. What, what was do your you question think about the conspiracy theory that that somehow these both were banned? Because I know for a fact. That Stoneforge Mystic is one of the cards that was running pretty well. I work in a store where we have singles. Stoneforge Mystic can run you twenty to fifty bucks, right. depending on you know where you're picking it up. Do you think that 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 secondary market pricing had anything to do with the decision to ban? I, it, that's a good it, conspiracy theory and one that I was was going to mention too. Right. It it might, but I don't think that's the case. Magic tends to be pretty just uh, blasé about. The, the secondary market. Really? They, Wizards of the Coast does not at all seem to care about it hmm. um, most of the time. Well, now, probably, here's, and here's, you want to add to that conspiracy theory? It's because Wizards has a, a stack of them that they're selling on eBay under different names and, and ra- raking in 60 to 100 bucks per card. It might be. The thing is, though, banning them actually de- will decrease the value yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah, 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 because it's not like yeah, they're not printing the them. Yeah. It's that they are yeah, yeah, banning them. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yours and Matthew's conspiracy theory run counter to each other, as most conspiracy theories eventually do. <laughs> um, here's the here's thing, though, and here's why this is actually... The, the, this is where the news gets a little weird. Right before they banned it, they made... You know, because you can buy pre-made decks, and they had a deck that was basically supposed to be a standard deck for you to go to standard tournaments with that mm-hmm. has Stoneforge Mystic in it. Mm. So Wizards printed that deck, and then within... A month banned the the most important card in the deck. Yeah. So they've gone back and said Stoneforge Mystic is banned from standard unless you have the that exact deck list. Oh, okay. Unless you are playing right. the 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 tournament deck that they printed Pretty out, mm-hmm. untouched, unchanged. 
uh, you can't play Stoneforge Mystic. If you have it perfectly intact, then you can. Interesting. Yeah, it is. And that's basically because, you know, that's them saying, oh, you now bought this deck and we just banned the best card from it. So we're going to let you, if what you want to do is play this deck, you can still play it. It is weird. I'm I'm not very happy about that. Personally, I think it's it makes this, you know, obviously banning cards feels very artificial. This adds another level of uh, just tension to it. But in the end, obviously, you know, Wizards of the Coast wants to print cards that people want to play. Right. And they were saying that people were not showing up to tournaments anymore because they were tired of always playing the same deck that mm. deck being what is called Caw Blade, mm-hmm. which is uh squadron hawks sort of feast and famine uh do 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 stoneforge mystic mm-hmm. plus jason drums but you'll get that in every deck <laughs> yeah um and so it wasn't becoming fun because everybody had right. the exact same people deck. like numbers at events were dropping because everybody was like i don't want to go play Cobblade again you know because you're either playing Cobblade so you can beat Cobblade mm-hmm. or you're playing um, something that is specifically meant to beat Cobblade, and that's all your deck does is try to get around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's mm. not a lot and of fun. And that takes out a lot of the fun. Yep. Yeah. So that's the idea behind it. Personally, you know, you obviously you don't want to ban cards, but again, th- this the fact that they did it now is, 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 a, is weird, too, because these cards are going to cycle out of standard in a couple months. They both are. They're both out of the same set. So pretty soon they're going to be gone. Yeah. But things got so Which bad. Maybe why they chose to do it. Things well, got so if, bad if, now. If, if numbers were dropping. Matthew, were you seeing numbers dropping at the store? Of well, people I coming don't in to play your pay attention to the to the purchase. Well, standard tournaments. Honestly, I don't remember the last time we ran a standard tournament. I know we ran a legacy tournament some time ago. Yeah, Topeka is a legacy I city. Think <laughs> yeah, I think what I'm running into, you know, what I'm thinking in this is maybe the fact that they're closer to the end of their, you know, their their lifespan anyway made that decision a little easier because if you think at it, you know, obviously within what, 6 months, we're going to have a new block come out. We're going to have people having oh, to work on non non jace mechanics and then mm-hmm. if we do it now it gives them a little more time going into summer you know you have the tournament season people work with something else it's not going to be you know all about that same deck because you sure. know so I, with this upcoming it, uh, you know, when i play it's all it was all about i hated the people with their damn dark rituals right right which it's all was dark banned, rituals which, and you know, dog moths bargain you know dark ritual another famous banned card out of uh whatever they were calling standard back then because it was just too strong Mm-hmm. So with the, what is this upcoming uh, tournament at Gen Con? Is, is that what uh, it is? Gen Con is going to be uh, what Nationals is it or yeah, it's it Nationals. It's it's Magic Nationals. The one that Rob wants to get into. I think so. Does banning standard. these two cards uh, does that totally change everybody going into that tournament strategy? Where now they have I, to think about it's yep. not going to be this call blade basically pack against the there's there's this thing called the meta game, which is you know you make your deck and then you tweak that deck you also get a right. sideboard so cards that you can put in between games because most games will be two at best two out of three right unless it's against the green reaper then it's best five out of seven okay um so you'll get these uh so most people will make a deck and then say how can i beat cobblade but now that cobblade has been largely neutered because stoneforge mystic is out of it people are going to go in and say oh well how do i beat valakut 
and you know vampires if those guys come back and all this other stuff right now that those decks are once again viable now it makes it more fun it makes it it makes it more and fun, more, more interesting challenge. and more dynamic exactly yeah, yeah. so that, that that then makes sense to do it now before yeah. big tournament time too so all right everybody well head over to majorspoilers.com you can uh, check up on uh, a lot of Magic the Gathering activities over there, as well as Dungeons and Dragons with our Critical Hit podcast. You do want to check that out. A uh, programming note for those people who uh, want to know what's going on with the Critical Hit. Uh, because we were out of town at Nerdtacular this past weekend, the uh, Critical Hit should uh, be up on the website right now and available on your iTunes feed by the time you get to this point in your show, or maybe not, who knows. Uh, but it should be within a few hours. Uh, we will not have a critical hit this Saturday, June 20, what is it, 4th? 4th, I think. I think it's June 24th. Um, yeah. We will no, have 25th. one. The, we will have one the following regular Saturday schedule should resume July 2nd. So there you go. But then again, if you only listen to critical hit and you're missing out on this, then you're missing out on the fun stuff. So don't do that. That's what I say. Just don't do that. Do not not listen. Do not not listen. Okay, we are... Oh, I know. Also up on the website. You want to check out the Star Wars Retro Review, written by Matthew, featuring <laughs> a big green fuzzy bunny and a girl with a big pink fuzzy uh, bikini. Uh, we're talking, yes. of course, Jackson and the, uh, the, the girl in the pink bikini uh, from the Star Wars comic book series from the 19... What is this? 1972s? No. It's got to be like 1978. Basically, yeah, yeah. it's it's the it's to me it's the origin of the expanded universe, and people really kind of hate it because <laughs> he's a six foot green rabbit, and I laugh. Did not make a lot of sense. I remember opening that up and going, "It's a giant green rabbit," but oh look, there's a girl with big boobs and white hair. So I didn't really care about Jackson that much. Would why it do be people hate if she it? had white boobs and big hair? What? Uh, why do people hate it? <laughs> Why do maybe that's what next week's I, poll of the week is going to be Jackson versus Jar Jar. Nice. Jackson's better than Jar Jar simply because Jar Jar is absolutely canonical. You can ignore Jackson if you want to. Mm -hmm. I think the problem with Jackson is that he is basically Bugs Bunny in a Star Wars setting. And I think that he stands out because thematically he's not quite right. And at this point in time, there was only a two-hour Star Wars movie, and I think there may have been like the the Star Wars holiday special at that yes, point. Yes, unfortunately. Which you know, if you watch that show, you have to admit there's weirder stuff in that than there is you know here. But uh, at the time, I believe it was Roy Thomas or Archie Goodwin, maybe it was Roy Thomas who was writing uh, Star Wars. And he went through Lucasfilm, and Lucasfilm, you know, had to check on his plots, but it was 1978, and I think maybe Jackson kind of slipped through the, the cracks. Well, you can, read exists, up, damn it. you can read up all over it at uh, Majorspoilers.com. Stick around, and when we come back, we're going to get to some reviews. How to get a Major Spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. 2. Click on the Make a Donation button. 3. Donate $10 or more to the cause. 4. Sit back and relax, and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20 6 
And we are so happy to bring you all of this fun content week after week, day after day, month after month, and year after year as we approach our fifth anniversary of Major Spoilers. And thank you so much to everybody, including Dustin Dula, who uh, contr- who donated this week. We really appreciate that. And to everybody who's become Now I a- have a joke about his name. Okay, go ahead. It sounds like Dulock from Shrek. All right. So thank you to him and thank you to everybody who's given a one-time donation and thank you to everybody who <laughs> has donated with a recurring donation. That money certainly does help us out in keeping the lights on. All right. Let's get to some more stuff. Let's get to some reviews. Reviews. Now I missed out on reviewing uh, the first issue of Rocketeer Adventures, but this week I snagged issue number two. Actually, it came out last week. From mm-hmm. IDW Publishing. Holy crap, this is the best comic book ever! Wow. There are not one, not two, but three Rocketeer stories that you're going to get in this in this issue. Wow. Written by none other than Darwin Cook, Lowell Francis, <gasps> and Mark <gasps> Wade. What? Yes, three awesome writers and three awesome artists. We've got Darwin Cook, Gene Ha, Chris Weston, and there's a, a Jeff Darrow uh, 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 pinup inside, a double-page spread, which is awesome. It's the Rocketeer flying through the air with his pistols and uh, taking down some Nazi planes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, then, of course, they've got some cover art by Alex Ross and Dave Stevens. Uh, Dave Stevens, yes. Uh, we get three stories. The first story focuses on uh, uh, Cliff trying to get the better, trying to, I don't know, how to, how to uh, get back at, at some big hunky bohunk guy that was hitting on Betty, who was doing a burlesque show. So there's some definite cheesecake art there. And I think that's, is that uh, Gene Ha in that one? No. Mark Wade and Chris Weston wrote, wrote the first one. Wrote and did the art in the first one. Fantastic art. Uh, turns out this guy is doing a stunt. Cliff thinks he's going to come out at this big expo in, in San Francisco and become the next uh, radio personality superstar. Problem is, the biggest name on the block is Superman. And everybody wants Superman this and Superman that. And everybody's trying to ca- uh, copy Superman, including the big gahoot that uh, Cliff is trying to punch in the face. Mm-hmm. Turns out somebody wants the big gahoot dead. And Cliff ends up saving his life while at the same time elevating his status to uh, to more popularity. And it's a, it's a great it's a great story there. Uh, second story is one that is by Darwin Cook, and it's done in the style of the Saturday uh, matinee serials. Hmm. And we get only chapter six, so we don't. It doesn't really matter what happens before or sure. happens what after. Um, but uh, Cliff is injured, and Betty. Having leapt from, they're on a train, uh, having left from one car to another, loses most of her clothes. So she's in her <coughs> garters and stockings. Mm-hmm. She has to save Cliff, and she flies the rocket pack and Cliff out of the train and to safety. And hijinks ensue. Very good. Sort well of a written. lingerie rocketeer. Lingerie, yes. Uh, some great art. Of course, Darwin Cook is masterful. Gene Ha is masterful in the in the third story, and I really liked uh, Chris Weston stuff in the uh, in the third story. It is so well told. Uh, it is uh, it's the Rocketeer fighting uh, t- uh, going against some other flying enemy, 
with a similar, like almost a helicopter pack. Mm-hmm. And they're fighting in the sky. And as you're reading the word balloons, you're thinking, wow, this narrator is narrating the fight that's going on in the sky until you realize that somebody's listening to the radio and listening to a boxing match going on. And what we're seeing is just how the narrator, the boxing match narrator lines up with the action taking place in the sky. What makes this one so awesomely awesome is at the end, after Cliff gets the uh, pack back from, from the enemy, he takes it into a room where there's a big man holding a, uh, a pig and a dapper lawyer man laying on the couch having a conversation. And at the very end, a very tall, bronze-skinned man, but we don't know who it might be mm. because he is in silhouette, uh, the, the monkish fellow asks, how come you didn't take the rocket pack back from Seacord? And the big man, who is very, very bronzish, very, you know, tall in stature. Practically says, a some, man of bronze. Practically will. a man of bronze. Basically says um, something to the effect of sometimes it takes uh, someone with the heart of a lion to, to uh, take charge. And Cliff Secord is that man. Hmm. And so it's a great... Just like in uh, Cliff's New York Adventure, where we get to see the Doc Savage characters appear, mm-hmm. we get to see them appear in this uh, in this story. Uh, the shadow, no shadow. There is no shadow in this one yet, uh, but it would be cool if they were able to to work that in. Fantastic art, three fantastic stories, great pinup art. Mm-hmm. This is a five star book. Pow, pow, out of the park. Matthew, did you give the first book five stars? The first issue. I when honestly you it? don't remember. I know you reviewed it because I saw you do it, and I was like, "Oh, the book's out!" And you then were you like, had already. I wanted that. I wanted that. You we're gonna have to bring back the uh, the dueling reviews, but holy cow, this is just from from the art to the stories to the funness to the good girl cheesecakey art, the the little wit and little bits that are thrown out. Um, again, this is borderline. I mean, this is pulpy superheroes, so you're not getting the the cosmic superheroes like Superman and all the the superheroy right, right. stuff. This is the kind of stuff that I like. I hope this ish, this series goes on for 10,000 issues. Uh, that's how good this is. And if they can keep up this great quality, it will go on 10,000 issues. Although I have a feeling it's probably going to end up being a limited series. But IDW, man, you guys. Yeah, it is a limited series. It's a four-issue limit. Oh, four-issue series. Oh. That's okay. Well, if it sells well. Well, look at well. it this way. Four issues, if they each have three stories apiece in them, that's like 12 Rocketeer stories right there. Nice. And that's, that's four like, more than we've had. Yeah, I was going to exactly. say, that's, that's 11 more than the movie. Yeah, there you go. So run out and get your copy of Rocketeer Adventures number two. Go out and get the first issue, because I thought it was very good as well. And go out and buy issues three and four, because I know that they're going to be stellar. Mm-hmm. And tell IDW Publishing, tell Chris Ryle over there, who's the, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Tell him to get more Rocketeer. We want more Rocketeer. I want more Rocketeer. Make it happen, Matthew. All right. Ah, now that that's out of my system, let's talk something else that's going to get me all riled up. Warlord of Mars, Deja Torres, number four. Warlord of Mars. This is from uh, Dynamite Entertainment. Indeed. Dynamite and IDW are buying up all the properties in the world. Uh, Next week, Dynamite debuts The Bible, number one, (laughs) while IDW debuts the dictionary, letter R. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Warlord of Mars. I understand. Colon. Deja Thoris, number four, came out this week with a just absolutely beautiful. I bought it for the cover. I'll admit it. 
It's an Art Adams cover, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, what what Deja Thor is. He says Torres. I don't know. Deja Torres. I'm gonna say Deja Torres. That's fine. Looks like, but she's kind of like a, a, a she's kind of like Katy Perry without the annoyance and the bangs, and you know she wears nothing but little gold accoutrements. Anyway, issue four of five. At this point in the script. Deja and her father, who is apparently a Jeddak, which is like a king, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah, of one of the realms of Mars, and all the other Jeddaks, the Jeddak of Helium and the Jeddak of Yorn and the Jeddak of Torb and the the, the Jeddak of, and then during the reign of the McKetrick supplements, never mind, have all come together to try and I'm not sure exactly what it is if they are fighting off an attack. From the Jeddak of Yorn? Yeah, the big Jed of Yorn or whatever he is. Uh, didn't he yeah. uh, climb into a giant robot uh, creature? And Exactly. The giant robot creature is attacking, and all of the various Jeddaks are trying to escape. They're not trusting each other. There's a lot of intrigue, and what it really breaks down to is Deja is the one who speaks sense in the middle of all of this ongoing madness. The one thing that's interesting to me, again, I am not by any means the uh, Stephen level expert in the John Carter stories. Okay. But I didn't realize that everybody was quite this naked. Yeah. You know, again, in the books, the red Martians <laughs> are naked. They wear no clothes okay. or if they do, they wear there's very one little guy. Yeah, there's, there's one guy here who the majority of his costume is an eye patch. <laughs> this is like, this is like, Costumes by Vivid Video here. But yeah. Deja, Deja is wearing a little bit more clothing than I'm used to. She seemed to have uh, apostrophes on her breasts, which make it look like someone's quoting her cleavage, which right. just cracks me up. But in any case, Deja and the Jeddaks, which I believe they were a cartoon band who fought against Gem and the Holograms, go on the run while the Jeddak of Yorn destroys everything. There's this kind of schlubby sciencey guy who reminds me of Alexander from the episode of Star Trek where Kirk yeah. was telepathic. He's he's a prince. Who is he a prince? Okay. Yeah, and he's he was supposed to a, marry her. Genius. Right. And she doesn't want to marry him? No. He was this was going to be an arranged marriage between him and her. And he disappeared. I caught okay. that much. Yep. Okay, there's a couple of just phenomenal, beautiful sequences of uh, Deja riding some sort of green carnivorous horse thing. And we get to the end and we find out he actually has created something that may allow them to fight, um, both fight the titanic creature and also fight the lack of cheesecake because it allows Deja to, you know, fly wearing pretty much nothing. And I have to admit, I, I think I've had that dream, <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't it, that a sequence in heavy metal? That, I think it might have been. <laughs> it has to be said that it's nice to read a book where the main character is a half-naked girl and not necessarily feel like it's, you know, just for perviness sake. A few weeks ago or months ago, when we did the Aphrodite Ix, I believe it was, Yeah, it was a little troublesome that the main character was half-naked all the time. But here, it, it, I'm honestly reading this and thinking, I... I might prefer it if all the characters were, in fact, running around naked on Mars. I understand me, why they can't do it. Right. Let me ask you this. Uh, between Red mm -hmm. Sonia and Deja Torres, um, they're uh -huh. basically dressed the same, except uh, Red Sonia's kind of got 
more of a bikini instead of just something covering her her nipples. It is, and, it and is her strange to say to compare two characters where Red Sonia is the one that's wearing more more clothes. clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wearing more clothes. Yeah, that's rare too. Now, which cover it's did you like, Matthew? You got the Adams the, cover. I, I have the. I have the Art Adams non-nude variant. Oh, okay. Where I'm, I'm kind of partial well, to the uh, Ale, what is it, Ale Garza cover. That's the one that I like. Ali Garza. Yeah. Well, Ali I have Garza, to say, yeah. part of the reason that I was attracted to this cover and not attracted in the pervy sense, but attracted in the wow, it's fascinating, is that on this cover, yes, she is a very attractive woman. She's pretty top heavy. She's well proportioned, but the. The Art Adams cover actually has the proportions of a real woman, and it has what happens when a large-breasted woman walks around with no upper support. Yeah. There's a little bit of sag, portions of the anatomy, and she looks very she looks very feminine at the same time being very strong, and it's clear that this is, you know, a, a regal character, even though her bazongas are hanging out. And that's a yeah. hard... It's hard to do a character who is this naked without having it look like Teehee, my top popped off. Mm-hmm. But Adams really managed to do an amazing piece of work on this particular cover. And the issue, of course, ends with the the realization that no matter how valiant he is, the man who the, the prince who was supposed to have married Dejan Thorez is very upset. And I'm afraid he's gonna pull a Harold Lauder on us in the next issue. But in any case, what we have set up for the final issue is a big battle where the main character is pretty much has to be central to whatever is going on, even though she's not one of the kings. And I think it's nice to see this kind of story where I have to actually do a little bit of, of work to make it come together. Yeah. I've talked about in the past, there's good mystery and there's bad mystery. This is good mystery because I'm like, wait, why did that happen? Okay, who is this guy? It's not frustrating. I can't get any of this. It's okay, seriously, I need to know what's going on here. Right. Now is this actually adapted? Is this adapted? No, from no, 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 no. This is an original story. Rose? This story actually okay. takes place. Um, I think they said four hundred years before the John Carter series even takes place. That's why all the cities of uh, all the cities are are still standing as opposed to being in ruins when we see it in the uh, John Carter book. So, uh, yeah, uh, Deja so is a very years? she is a very old chick by the time she meets up with uh, with John Carter. I think she's already over a hundred in this story. And the Martians live like forever. Yeah, basically for a very long time. Pretty much, because I think the fathers like or the grandfather, the king, the white-haired guy, is the is a thousand years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy with the eye patch is actually De- Deja's father. Okay. Well, I know guy, more yeah, information than you need. I'm such dad. a nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I her didn't dad. Realize. Yep. Dude, he doesn't look any older than her. I know. That's why it's kind of creepy. Awesome. You look kind of Tarzan-y. For me, there are a few things going into a book that I'm not familiar with or a title that I've never read. A, how does it look? Cover, phenomenal. Uh, I believe page 20, there's a sequence where Deja is wearing this flying harness that uh, the gentleman has created, page 20. Yeah. And she's kind of hovering and everybody's just like, oh my god, and not just the fact that there's a naked woman floating in the middle of the screen, but it's she's kind of 
silhouetted against the sun. We're looking up. You see all the characters in shock except for Valian, who created this little harness, and he's got this look on his face like the cat that ate the canary. Just a beautiful sequence. The art throughout is amazing. There's, I don't know if I would call it an influence of Adam Hughes, but there's definitely kind of... No, I was going to say that, that the Carlos Rafael, who did the uh, interior art, he's also done uh, mm-hmm. artwork, I believe, in the Buck Rogers series that uh, Dynamite has come out. And I know he did, uh, a couple of years ago, he did Highlander. And I've always thought, sometimes when he goes to town on the girls, they look a lot like Adam Hughes. Yeah. There's a definite, I mean, it's definitely in that same ballpark. I was impressed. I'm not someone who goes looking for Deja Thora's book. I'm not someone who's really a, a John Carter fan, but as somebody who steps into a comic book, I have to say this is easily four slices of meatloaf. It's a very strong issue, and I'm actually going to go and dig up. I know I happen to have them in the back issues, issues one through three, because I'd like to read the entire piece. And I think that it, you know, had they been able to do this where she was completely naked. I actually believe that Dynamite could have pulled this off, no pun intended, without it being incredibly tawdry. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that right there is an achievement in and of itself. Well, and that was one of the things, too, is when you're looking through this particular issue, and I'm trying to find my copy right here, um, they actually mm-hmm. do a really good job of staging things so that you're not always seeing, you know, breasts or butts right. or, or banana hammocks it's not or, all or whatever. It's not naked. Naked guys and Deja's boobs. No, and you know, I would really you know who'd be an awesome artist if they could do it. Amanda Connor would actually be awesome on this series Ooh. because she could do all the nudity and conceal it just right, just like she did in Power Girl. Yeah. So, I could see all that. right. Four out of five. That's pretty, uh, pretty good comments there from Matthew Peterson. First time reading this, uh, this uh, series. Now we go down to Rodrigo. We talked. Magic the Gathering earlier. Yep. Why don't we continue with more gaming and Dungeons and Dragons? That's right. Dungeons and Dragons, Daggerdale, a downloadable <laughs> game that you can get. Free or is this something you have to no, pay? No, you have to pay for it. Um, I don't remember how much it is. It's like 27,000 points, which I think is like six bucks. Um, or maybe it's the other way around. Um, I believe it's available. Points and 27 bucks? Yep. Um, I believe it's available... Um, both for PlayStation and for Xbox. Um, and it's it's a it's a Dungeons it's an official Dungeons and Dragons release, Daggerdale, which I believe is in the Forgotten Realms setting. Um, so you play one of four kind of iconic D and D adventurers: a human fighter, dwarf cleric, um, elven archer chick, and halfling. Who I'm sure has a class to go with it, right? Um, <laughs> halflings don't have class. They no, they, class. they they don't. Um, it's a it's a halfling multi class halfling. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they're called Frodo. So you know you you start out the game and you're running around in this mine and you know of course there <clears throat> you have your uh, like in like in Dungeons and Dragons you have your feats and you have. Um, your arms. Uh, your 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 encounter. Your your uh, at will powers. So you get to pick that ahead of time. Um, so you're running around these caves. You're helping out these dwarves, and of course, there's lots of barrels around that you break, and things like that. And, and you know, it's kind of like a, a, a 
your kind of a first person action puzzle game and stuff right um and you know you go through and eventually some monsters pop up and you fight them and you know you throw things at them and you use your uh, uh your powers to to kill them <coughs> um and that's about it i mean it's it's got some good graphics but you know as i was playing it i I kept thinking to myself why does this say dungeons and dragons on it because you're in a dungeon and you're fighting dragons i i I guess so and so in the strictest sense it can be called dungeons i mean obviously it's it's a brand thing but it says it's authentic D D experience yeah that's that's that is certainly not true. The detailed world of the iconic Dungeons & Dragons franchise has been painstakingly recreated for a rich, complex, and thrilling game experience. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. I haven't been happy with Atari's rendition of a Dungeons & Dragons world. Oh, because since it's never, all 8-bit. Since Neverwinter Nights 2. Or is it um, 6-bit? Do, 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 yeah, I haven't been happy with it since you had goblins coming down at you like... Oh, I miss the days of my Atari. Well, not my Atari, somebody else's, but... Yeah. We couldn't afford an Atari! <laughs> no, we could not. Um, I couldn't either. Because it was an antique by the time I was uh, <laughs> Shut up, old you. enough to play. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> um, it's... it Honestly, it looks muddy and, and, and dirty, you know, and I, and I don't think that's necessarily what they're going for. And again, since Neverwinter Nights 2, it's like in Neverwinter Nights had a very clean look to it. And after that, they decided that more detail meant, like, it's like it's like when you have in a comic and people just put more lines on a character's face right, to right, give right. it more detail. Right. But that's not oh, more detail. <clears throat> yeah, it's not more detail. It just makes the character look either older or dirty, mm-hmm. you know, because it looks like they have, like, dust on their face. Yeah, they got schmutz. Um, yeah, exactly. So, that's that's what, the, you know, you talk to the dwarves on the dwarves. schmutz? The uh, the dwarves, you know, that you're trying to help, you walk up to them and they go, and then you get like a little text. I don't know. Well, anyway, the look of it, I'm I'm not terribly pleased with. Again, there's just kind of this general, like grodiness to it. It's it's dark. It's it's difficult to tell details. And again, I think it's because they're like, oh, look at look at all the little moss spores that we've drawn on this or, right. or, or rendered onto this character. And it just doesn't look that So that what about good. the gameplay? Um, well, if you enjoyed Fable games, you may well enjoy this game, but it is not it it's not a Dungeons and Dragons game. I, I think at some point, probably actually around Neverwinter Nights 2. The, well, actually, even for the original Neverwinter Nights, the Neverwinter Nights is not a turn-based game. Mm-hmm. It's a cooldown-based game. Um, I think somewhere along the line, they've actually they actually have made a turn-based D and D game. Right. But most of them are those kind of like cooldown things. Like it's it's funny because you get your add will powers in this game, and the way the add will powers work is you use them and then they're on a cooldown, which means they're exactly the opposite of what the add will powers are in the actual fourth edition Dungeons right, and Dragons right. game. Um, they're actually kind of like encounter powers in a way. Right. So I, I don't know. It's it, like as as a game itself, you know, I would be okay with it, except that it's also just really nothing to write home about. You know, you run around, you break barrels, you talk to things, you get missions, you fight things. There's, you know, as far as gameplay, there's nothing original there. 
on top of it, they're calling it Dungeons and Dragons, and it is not anything like a, an authentic Dungeons and Dragons experience. Sure, they're using all the names from Forgotten Realms. Sure, there's dwarves and, and a halfling and more dwarves, mm-hmm. but and, and a hot elf. But that's you, you know, it's like I don't know. It's it, it's like. Uh, it's like giving a single character a ray gun and calling it a sci-fi show, you know? I, I, I don't know. It's just, it seems... It, I, I wish that Atari or Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast would just take that chance and actually look at a game like Fire Emblem or one of those other like actual turn-based games and actually try and mod... D&D 4th edition or 3rd edition or whatever they want to do onto it mm-hmm. because you know the, the the people like right now there's so much fantasy out there so many fantasy games that the, the Dungeons and Dragons world isn't like regardless of the setting isn't all that interesting you know you're not getting anything in Eberron that you're not getting in World of Warcraft because there's orcs there's goblins right, there's all this right. other stuff there's also like m- magic technology like you know mm-hmm. you got goblins riding around on go-karts yeah, yeah, yeah you know you got all this other stuff going so the thing that D has to offer is that gameplay of D, mm-hmm. which they're just completely throwing out the window right so you know unimpressive graphics unimpressive gameplay <coughs> and a complete disregard for what D is actually like i'm gonna give this uh one slice of meatloaf one slice of meatloaf rodrigo yep Way to ruin the theme. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait till we get to the Traveler. Uh-oh. All right, there you go. Reviews, more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. We're going to take this uh, quick break. Spoilers.com. Oh, I know. Hey, before we get to the break, actually, let's get to our Major Spoilers poll of the week. Steven. Yes? You know I exist two months in the past, right? Well, I, that's why I was giving you the... Yeah, he was... He, I dragging think he, 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 yes. it out I, so we could he, get to the... It's time! There we go. <laughs> Thank you. I hate it when Skype delays, man. I feel like I'm in, like, last Wednesday. It's time for the millions in attendance and for the giant metal men waiting in the wings. The major spoilers, time-twisting, time-travel, fighting robots, and I'm not sure why Magnus has panty lines. Poll of the week, 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 So, a uh, friend of the show, friend of the website, Scott Wegner, uh, appeared la- on last week's Major Spoilers podcast. We kind of called him in, in, in an impromptu uh, phone call. We had him cough up some secrets of the upcoming Atomic Robo series. And then uh, this past week, he was doodling around. And he whipped up this picture of Magnus Robot Fighter taking on Atomic Robo. My mom Robo. said if you doodle around, you'll go blind. Yeah, maybe that explains why my eyesight's so bad. Um, but, you know, in the picture that he drew that's up on the website, and you can see it in the show notes, has a Magnus giving a Robo a good uh, a punch good to the face. So it made face. me wonder if Magnus Robot Fighter traveled 4,000 years from the future... An atomic robo traveled 80-plus years from the 1930s to today, Mm -hmm. and they met each other on the street and got into it, because Magnus hates robots. Hmm. That's why he's a robot fighter. I see. Who would win in the fight? 
Atomic Robo, Magnus Robot Fighter, Rodrigo Go. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I am really interested in seeing that movie. Yeah. I know it's Rock and Sock'em Robots with uh, uh, a uh, there was, Rocky uh, uh, twist on it. The, but the, I, did I, you, I did think you see it there was good. some real tension between uh, D&D Brian and Rob over that movie. Oh, really? They were basically both like just glaring at each other over whether it was an awesome idea or a terrible idea. And Rob seemed to be in the camp of he doesn't like it. I, I, I don't remember. remember. I, those I guys are that, interchangeable to me. All but. I know is that as soon as Rock'em Sock'em Robots came up, boy, they, they squared off and I thought they were going to go at it there at the theater. But, yeah. Uh, See, there's something that you guys I, I, I may not be aware of. If I understand this movie correctly, yes, it is... It's an episode of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone from 1959, starring Lee Marvin in its original it, incarnation. Which, if it's if it's really ripped off from this Lee Marvin story in the future, where men don't box anymore, robots box, and Lee Marvin yes. is the manager of this robot boxer. Yes, that that to me makes it cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it, I mean. It, it literally go up to the website, Matthew. Do a search for Real Steel. Watch the trailer, and you'll say, "Yeah, you'll see it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots meets Rocky." Well, isn't it? Isn't it literally the Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie? I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that this is based on the Rock'em Sock'em Robots game because I know that they sold the movie rights to that. Mm-hmm. Which, if this is the Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie, oh man, I cannot wait to see Battleship. Nice, and I cannot wait to see Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, Stretch Armstrong is going to be amazing. Yeah. So anyway, back to the question of the week. All right. So I'm going to go with um, probably Atomic Robo, since I actually am not familiar at all with uh, Magnus Robot Fighter. <gasps> okay. Heretic. Matthew Phillips in, Ma- Matthew Phillips in on Magnus Robot Fighter. Heretic. Magnus Robot Fighter. Well, you want to know in-universe or out-of-universe? Doesn't matter. <clears throat> Whatever Valiant's going right. to do next with the property. Well, first of all, it's not originally a Valiant property. Uh, Magnus Robot Fighter actually came out of the 60s, uh, back when Western was Gold Key Publishing. Magnus was done by Russ Manning, who is a vastly underrated, brilliant comic writer, uh, writer slash artist. Magnus in the year 4000 was adopted by a robot named 1A, and 1A teaches Magnus to take out unlawful robots. So he's basically like Batman in the future. And the thing that's really, that's the real killer is he's Batman in the future with super strength. And there are billion people running around. Exactly. 1A basically follows the three laws of robotics. And if you don't, if you're not an Asimov robot, Magnus will come and he will bust you up. And that's really all you need to know. Also fascinating, uh, Magnus has white boots. It's actually a coloring error because uh, Manning expected the colorist to paint them black. Mm. But the colorist left them white, and the white boots have actually become part of the iconic look of his little tunic costume. Yeah, what's you know, with the, the dress? The very futuristic thing with those white boots. It's not a dress. What's with the dress? Tunic. All right. It's, it's the future. Kilt. People dress like that in the future. All right, I hope I die next Would you make fun of Rory McAllister <laughs> walking off the mountain? <clears throat> He's so Matthew, the man gonna, he'll ever be. Who are you going to vote for in this uh, fighting competition between man and robot man? Much as I love both characters, 
much as I, you know, appreciate it when I occasionally am on the side that seems to be up, I had to go with Magnus for two reasons. One, I like Robo, but Robo has been damaged and rebuilt in right. the stories we've read. Right. Robo being damaged and rebuilt does not seem to destroy what makes Robo Robo. So I think that Robo being able to be, you know, kicked, have his head kicked off and rebuilt from a story perspective, he has to lose because if Robo gets his head kicked off and rebuilt, it just makes it stronger. It makes him more Robo-y Robo. Whereas if Magnus finds a robot that he can't fight, it kind of undermines the whole point of Magnus and he becomes, you know, Magnus lunch lady in a red leather dress. <laughs> so I went with Magnus for that reason. And also because, you know, my old theory of go with the original Magnus has been kicking robots in the head for 50 years. Uh, Demo Max says Dr. Atomic Robo Tesla has 80 plus years of science fighting and science fighting. He's gone toe to toe against Nazi mechas, the disembodied brain of uh Sentai esque giant monster. Edison's Ghost, The Shadow from Beyond Time, and Lizard Man. That would make Dr. Insano the bastion of sound logic. Magnus, robot fighter, is from the year 4000 and punches robots. Indeed, he does have superhuman strength and durability, but he is a man. A man can be stopped by lightning and bullets. Robo wins out by smarting him. Magnus cannot be stopped by lightning or Jeremy bullets. Dunlap says, gotta go with Robo on this one. All he needs to do is, is wait out Magnus until his uh, book gets canceled, license <laughs> gets pulled, or the publishing company goes under. <laughs> <laughs> the meta okay, answer. that's just mean. <laughs> that is so mean. It's true. I actually didn't mean. pre-read that one before I got to it. So, uh, uh, Litany of Thieves says, I gave it to Robo since not only is he way tougher than lots of Magnus's fights, but he's also a science hero. And yes, you have to capitalize it and say it in the for science voice. Oh, which I didn't. He's a science hero. Hero. So, so, oh, I'm sorry. So, Good Sam the Eagle has Takamoto. to read it. Yes, yes. And really, with the uh, fighting it's scientists the of Tesla Dino's back, Robo could even take Batman down, even with preparation time. It's on, nerds. Mm. I uh, I went with uh, Atomic Robo. You can't go wrong with science. Science! Matthew, how did the rest of the... Uh, how did the rest of the... <laughs> All Just right. because you haven't heard of something doesn't mean it's not cool. So I if think you I've are got voting some, based uh, on Magnus. I've never heard of this guy, I'm going to come cracking people on the head. I have a lot I, of Magnus, actually. I, I've got so. some Magnus. I think I got the stuff from when it was like the 80s, 80s, early 90s when he had his uh, resurgence oh, at that time. That's that's the Valiant stuff. If you can get a hold of the old gold key with the fully painted covers, it's a little spendier. And I think yeah. it's actually been trade paperback. Oh, oh yeah, God, it has. Good stuff. I forget who's doing it. I don't remember. Was it Dark Horse that did it? They may have. Who knows? I think it's coming out. It's being released by Dark Horse. No. Dark Horse has the rights to the new... Yeah, they're doing... I guess they're doing them as archive things, like Nexus and... Uh, Dr. Solar. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Solar. They're coming out as Dark Horse Dark Horse Archives. Yeah, Dark Horse Archives. Which, that's, from, that's where they're coming from. Hard cover. 301. 
Spoiler right votes in as of this very second. A whopping 74% leaning towards Atomic Robo, 26% towards Magnus. And I think part of that is because A, Robo is brilliant. We all love us some Robo. And B, I think people only remember the Jim Shooter version of Magnus, which is truly, truly sad. All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. So good to see the numbers that high, considering the poll's only been up since, I don't know, eight hours or so. Mm -hmm. Bodes well for the rest of the week. Maybe next time we should do Robot Fighter versus Dragon Puncher. <laughs> Still thinking that other idea I had earlier was uh, was a good one, too. All right, we're going to take a listen to this uh, these couple of comments, and then we're going to talk about Stan Lee's The Traveler from Boom Studios. Stick around. Uh, hey, guys, this is Ed. Um, I didn't get to call in. I tried calling in for your live show, but I was working and never could get in. But I wanted to talk about the DC reboot. I've been a DC fan um, on and off since, well, since pre-crisis. Um, I feel I'm kind of excited, but um, in the same way, sad. And I'm going to be losing uh, the JSA people, you know, the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott, Jay Garrett. You know, these guys, I thought, had been really um, good characters. And the fact that they're not going to be in the DC universe anymore kind of saddens me. Hoping that maybe they'll spin them off and have their own universe. Um, also, kind of bummed that uh, Stephanie's not going to be back on anymore. I've been that's actually been my favorite Bat book right now. But I am excited about some of the War books coming out. I think I'll be focusing on them and Green Lantern. So, and the other thing is hoping. My bunch of hopes also that DC will work out some kind of deal with like DCPS that maybe we can get a huge discount on these number ones. So I'd like to pick them up, um, you know, give them out, of, give them a try, see what I like, um, and then be able to, you know, pick what I want. So I'm hoping, and if they have a good marketing, hopefully that'll work. So uh, and. I keep hoping, and I live through Heroes Reborn, uh, Reborn, excuse me, at a cold. And um, I'm just hoping that this isn't going to be like that. And if it is, well, you know, there's nothing that can, that, you know, that they can't just go back to the way it is right now if it turns out to be bad. So, um, fingers crossed, hopeful, and I know you guys will be doing some great reviews. So, looking forward to listening to you guys. Bye. Schleicher, this is Mosier. Dude, thanks for uh, pimping The Traveler on your podcast. I think that's awesome. It's a great book. I uh, hope your readers are enjoying it. And if they haven't enjoyed it yet, they should pick it up. Anyway, this is Marketing Sales Director Chip Mosier from Boom Studios signing off. Bye. Yes, Chip Mosier, Marketing Director from Boom Studios, saying how great it is that we're reviewing Stan Lee's The Tra- Traveler, written by uh, Mark Wade with art by Chad Harden. Uh, this is the first volume, which I thought was going to be the first six issues, until I realized it's only the first four issues, hmm. which was kind of a relief because I waited two weeks until the last minute to sit down right, and right. read this, and I was like, oh my gosh, i got to get through six or seven issues right now, and then at the end of the fourth issue, I was like, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, I was, All right. I was, I was actually... Uh concerned about that because when we uh, I, uh when when you sent out information about the book 
I thought that it was six issues. So I got to the end of it and I kept flipping. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. am I missing something? Well, this volume includes like 36 additional pages of variant art covers that they had variant covers, yeah. and some concept arts that uh, Chad Harden had done. So that's kind of neat to go back and look at some of that stuff, especially when you're talking about the creation of a comic book and people who are into the behind the scenes stuff. Some of that stuff is nice to have. But what we need to talk about right now is uh, is the story. The story is a little bit uh, mystical. Here's this guy that's coming back uh, from time. He's obviously dealing with time, as he tells people. His name is Kronos, or Cronus, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it or how you recognize it. And that's all we know him, because he's got a ripped uh, uniform mm-hmm. that has a K, space, R-O-N, US. And, then, and then on another line it has U-S. And uh, we don't know anything about him. He's a mystery, an enigma, a riddle. And he's come back, and he's saving just these random people. He saves this uh, this woman who just got her new glasses, mm-hmm. saves her life, saves a bus driver's life. From some crazy time attackers. Yeah, yeah, that we learn who are the Minutemen. Uh, get, get it? It's a time-traveling story. <laughs> and we're dealing with uh, Minutemen who are the bad guys. And each one has a different power. Mm-hmm. One has magnetism. One has, like, a decaying power. One has schmagnetism. <laughs> schmagnetism. <laughs> one of them has the ability to melt objects into one another. Uh, they all have to do with the principal forces of, of nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's battling them while trying to save these people. At the same time, we get introduced to FBI agent uh, Julia... Uh, what is her last name? We'll just call her Julia. Child. Julia Child. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Kronos. Today we're going to be cooking a fine uh, chicken. Uh, oh, fine, dear, look, I've cut uh, my finger fine off. Souffle. <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, no. Is it Jack's Pepin? <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Je m'appelle Jacques Pepin. <laughs> uh, Kronos is very interested in ensuring that Julia lives or does not get harmed in any way. And we learned that Julia has a uh, a love interest named Ron. Mm-hmm. Or Ronald, it depends on how Ron. you want to call him. Ron. Hello, I'm Ronald. <laughs> and Ronald. he works He works at a science lab. Science! With Doesn't her everybody. father. Yes. With her father and uh, this and other Dr. guy. And Dr. Doom! Uh, oh. Yes, that's kind of who it is. Doctor, what's his name? Reginald... Donald, is his uh, name Reginald? I forget Julian, what his name is. Julian Sands, I think. Julian Sands. Um, but he's not. He's he's a no good. His Nick. name is Monotype Corsiva. <laughs> he's a no good Nick, as uh, as Boris and Natasha would say. Yeah. And he seems a little bit too obsessive over poor Julia about mm-hmm. the girlfriend. Only four issues, so we get you know. Get a little bit of mystery. You get a little bit of uh, reveal over time. You get some fighty, fighty action until the very end when you realize that Kronos. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. Here comes big spoiler. So uh, pause it for just a moment or skip ahead. Kronos is really Ron from the future, traveling back into the past, dun, dun, dun. Uh. trying to make actions occur so that what the universe doesn't blow up or that he doesn't get killed, so that he can save his Julia. And it turns out so, the bad guy that we thought was bad, Colding, I guess is his bad. name, is really a bad Dr. guy. Cold. Get it? He's cold. He's very Dr. Colding. Mm. He also gets uh, changed in this uh, ex- time experiment gone wrong, and he becomes the evil villain who's sending the Minutemen, Minutemen back in time. Right. And so it's all a story that wraps in on itself. 
at least I in this four they were issue the miniseries. Men and they were really small. No, because one of them's pretty chunky. Hmm. Maybe For, they're talking maybe about something specific. From, yeah, protein is his friend. Um. So let's talk story. What? I mean, we've kind of already given you the synopsis. Rodrigo, what? give us some thoughts on this story. Um. Predictable, not predictable, boring, exciting, high, highly, interesting. Highly predictable. Okay. I thought. I think as as the moment that we met Ron, I right. knew that he was a traveler. Right. I was I was really, really waiting for that swerve of, oh no, the bad guy is the traveler and the, his time traveling has changed him or something like that. But no, Ron's the traveler. Um it the the this whole thing centers around kind of these uh events that the traveler sets in motion while simultaneously trying to protect those events that he sets in motion from the bad guys who are trying to stop them and you know the the whole thing eventually comes to a head of you know the the reason why the bad guys are trying to stop him and the reason why he's trying to get them to happen is to make sure that he are that his past self arrives at the right time right he doesn't get it quite right which is why Julia is once again lost in the time stream. Lost but he gets it close stream. enough that he does get his super traveler powers and the bad guys are temporarily vanquished, right? Yeah, basically. Um, so that's great. You get all of that. But in the process, you get very little character development for the traveler himself and for what we eventually find out to be the main character who really to me just kind of came across as a whiner ron is a yeah. whiner yeah yeah when we first meet him he's a whiner right so some at some point which is probably why the series is ongoing mm-hmm. we learn how ron went from the whiner to mr heroic right matthew some initial thoughts on, on story i remember reading issue one when it came out and being pretty interested in what was going on in the issue i really like the mysterious you know time traveler motif and i think that there's a lot of high concept involved you know the the four characters representing the four fundamental forces of the universe and the the from the very beginning there are references to his time traveling nature and the fact that he's from the future and he knows that things are going to happen there's a cameo by bumblebee which uh, got me. I think the execution of it actually worked for me. I will say this. I got distracted by little bits of business more than I really hooked into the story. Because the first thing we see is the girl with the glasses. Mm-hmm. She's reading the eye chart. And what she right. spells out is time broken. And right. there's a point where the traveler is is there and he's, he says something that cracks himself up and he kind of giggles and he's like, that's fun to say. You know, w- once he's in his future phase, the traveler is actually kind of interesting. And when, you know, when he freaks out, I think that the little character bits, the little bits of business really work for me. I had some issues with the way this, this particular four issue arc, and I, I read the original issues. Uh, this particular four-issue arc felt a little... It was only six months ago. <laughs> I know, right? The, it felt a little forced in terms of the, the big cliffhangers. Because issue one ends with a big cliffhanger, and right. issue two resolves it within seconds. And 
Right. Kind of it 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 borders on that bait and switch. Issue 2 ends with a big cliffhanger and issue 3 is like, "Ha, you didn't know what was going on, did you?" And issue 4, you know, kicks in in in, in media res and we're like, "Dun da da. Oh, there's another one." So I liked I liked parts of it. I think the parts of it that were predictable were designed to be predictable. Mm-hmm. I think that it was it was created for people who aren't necessarily as genre savvy of as the three of us. And on that level, I feel like it worked. From a character design perspective, I really like his design. Yeah, I like that. Design I like too. the yeah, travelers. Definitely. His look, his costume, his whole, you know, phantom stranger with a domino mask thing, whatever is going on. I feel like it worked better in the quiet moments, in the smaller moments, you know, the things where we see those, you know, 11th Doctor contrivances and coincidences happening, and those moments where he's like, aren't you going to give me something? Yes. Would you like a bowling Mm -hmm. ball? Sure. Leave it here in 36 hours. Right. You know, I love that moment where he's he's out thinking himself, whereas I think the big... The big monstrous reveal, the whole what's really going on, mm-hmm. gets a little bit lost for me. That overarching, the larger plot, I think gets. Well, let me ask. I don't you want guys to say this. lost, but it's definitely subsumed. Let me ask you guys this: We know Mark Wade. We've talked with him many a time. <laughs> we know he's a very capable writer and can deliver stuff. At the same time, we've been told that Stan Lee, because his name is on this, and sometimes uh, some projects Stan Lee just puts his name on. But other times he really gets involved. Now, we were told that Stan is really into, um, you know, making notes or giving feedback or giving input or signing off on these Stanley titles that were coming out of Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. Did this not feel a little bit like some Stanley influence? Didn't this feel like a Stanley story? Yeah. I think. Yes, I, I think, very much so. Yeah, definitely both in, in good and I, I'm not even going to say bad ways, but right. good and kind of. Not so good. Way. I don't know. Like, there's, there's. No, a, I mean, there's, there's some a, things. There's I mean, Stanley is Stanley, good. Yeah, but there's some things that there's Stanley some like Stanley style schlock. I think that right, is right, kind right, of right. all over this book, which is fine. Like, there, I, I don't even have an issue with it. But even like the four guys and their names, mm-hmm. I'm like that. That feels like a Stanley joint. Right. You know, right, the right. fact that there's like four guys with with atomic powers is like, yeah, this is so. This is so Stanley. Even if, you know, if we've been lied to and he didn't have anything to do with this book, then clearly Mark uh, Wade Mark is a Wade, more brilliant yeah, writer. Mark than... Wade went right to the source. He just like cracked open all his old Fantastic Fours and was like, "What would that man make if he started working in 1997 instead of uh, 1940 whatever?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I mean, and I think that may be part of the charm. Mm-hmm. As the way I read this book, that's part of the charm is that kind of Stanleyism that's that's in the book. Uh, but I, I think that the characters are interesting. I like the Kronos character. I like, you know, how his tragic origin is. He's responsible for his own tragic origin. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I I kind of I kind of like how things are kind of played out without us really knowing everything until we get to the to the third act, until we get to the uh, big confrontation. And then things are, are made more clear and how they uh, how they play out. Um but I agree. There's there's some predictability. I think by issue two, if you don't know who Kronos is, then you know you probably are going to be really surprised by mm-hmm. issue uh, when you get to issue four or three. I think is when it's revealed. Um, but you know, this, from the story 
point of view, I, I didn't think this was a terrible story. I mean, I've read much worse, but I've certainly read much, much better mm. uh, from this standpoint. Um, are time-traveling stories inherently difficult, then, from your perspective, Rodrigo, to to approach? Well, I think I think it, d- it depends on what you're, you're hoping to do with it. I mean... Yeah, obviously, you know, and and we've we've talked about the doctor already, but you know, there's there's the time travel stories where the doctor goes back and fights goats with ghosts with yeah, he fights goats, fights goats with goats, yeah, yeah. ghosts he, with goats, yeah. he fights ghosts with uh with Charles Dickens, right? Oh, right. no, it wasn't Charles Dickens, was it? Uh, well, he he went yeah, back, in, yeah, he went back in time and fought an invincible monster yeah. with Picasso, for example. Right, right, right. Um, you know, fought it for a. a dog monster with vincent van gogh right right that's that's one kind of time travel story where it's like whatever you know obviously somehow none of this made it into the history books blah blah timey-wimey ball let's move right, on right right and then there's the gargoyles fin- phoenix gate everything's connected this thing that happened on the very first episode the reason for it is this thing that happened in the middle of the season mm-hmm. and now you're basically getting to see every did you like the movie memento uh, Memento, where yeah. the story's told backwards. Yeah, I thought I, okay. I liked it because that's kind of a time travel story. It is. Yeah, it's. It, you can definitely you can have a, a story that moves weirdly through time without mm-hmm. uh, actually uh, making it a without actual literal hard time travel. But I, I think when I think the more ambitious you are with it, mm-hmm. the more you are trying to you know blow your uh, your audience's mind with the with the time travel stuff. The, the more difficult it is and the more likely you are to fall into traps, into things that have been done before, mm-hmm. into not considering something that's then going to cause you a problem, mm-hmm. um, into, you know, really as a writer accidentally making a paradox that then you forget about or, or don't really consider. Right. And then that weakening your story. So is that what's happened here? No. Well, I think that all... Th- all loose ends were tied up, but I think some of them are a little contrived. Like, I think the fact that he goes, no, and then basically eats the other version of himself at mm. the end, mm-hmm. that was clearly so that there aren't two travelers, and then three travelers, right, and then right, four right. travelers, as you go on with the story. Right, right. Matthew, some thoughts on this? As far as the time travel aspect of it, or just yeah, overall yeah, yeah. in terms of this? Yeah, no, 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 the time travel There's- aspect of it. There's kind of two different things going on in the story. Um, and I, I, I think that there may be kind of an issue with the way with the way that they're put together. One of them is kind of a very real human story where we move people around and they're not just bit players. We get to know a little bit about them. You know, we know a little bit about Danielle who's nearsighted and the bus driver whose name escapes me. And, you know, we get bits and pieces of a lot of different things. And then it's also tied together with that, you know, the time travel, the time arc of the character going back in time to make sure that he exists. That to me is kind of a high level piece. That's, that's a master level course. It's not something you want to play with in short term, I guess. It's something that you're going to want to do well if you do it. And I think putting it all together in terms of a of a superhero trapping instead of like a, a hard sci-fi story may be accounting for some of Rodrigo's cognitive dissonance because again, to me it worked in it worked in the moment. It worked in the quietness where, you know, he's like, No, I'm not gonna be late. I made a promise and I'm a bus driver and this is what I do. 
you know, I like the way that those particular dominoes fall to where we realize what the traveler has been up to. He's not a whack job. He's actually making sure that something happens or doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, it's the way that it's all streamlined together. Each issue, if you look at issue one, two, three, and four, very strong. And where I come into my problems is the transition points between them, just kind of like the transition points between those character moments and the big fighty fighty. And now I'm going to hit myself in the face with a bowling ball. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, again, some of the problems are, and if, if you really want to nitpick, you can actually find out where there are some plot holes. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, the whole punching myself to oblivion to become my to become myself right uh is kind of a i don't know a little forced yeah um but i mean if that's the the only way that you can make it happen then that's the way you have to make it happen well, that's, um it's that's interesting that built in uh that's the built-in thing where you have the what is it called where something creates itself kind of a logical syllogism, but it's also yeah you know, the what what'd you say right well, i guess what the they call is when something eats itself yeah, what do they call it when you have a thing and it's like it's a, a, time it's a thing stable it's, it's a stable paradox, or it's like a, it's, it's a, a stable paradox. time loop. Well, which is nice when you were talking about the snake eating itself and the mm-hmm. time loop and the paradox. Well, that infinity symbol is yeah. very much that. Which is funny because if you look at the it, you know and, and obviously there there was I I didn't feel that this guy this like this character doesn't feel like a a rip off to me of of any other character or anything like that but it's funny if you look at the sketches where they have one and it's like that same guy except instead of having that infinity symbol he has an hourglass mm-hmm. and it's like a guy with an hourglass yeah, with yeah. a full mask wearing a hood yeah. oh yeah and, and and a and a hood yeah, with a cape yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like oh yeah we've we've seen that yeah, before yeah, yeah. yeah no <laughs> it's no, a good no. thing they didn't go with that one yeah that could have been very problematic um so let's uh let's switch over to the art uh chad harden doing the art on this thing matthew we'll we'll let you start with the art i actually like the art I, especially when it comes to the traveler sequences it's hard to do superhero type action and have it be realistic within the same point there are moments where he chooses angles that sometimes look a little awkward but overall i'm really happy with the art the characters are believable and understandable throughout the traveler's costume design and i'm not sure if he has anything to do with it like i said yeah, that costume did. design is pretty awesome yeah but when I you like actually that costume see a lot. it in action yeah when you see that uniform in action it you know it does really interesting things. He'll be standing still, and all of a sudden he'll be in action, and his cape will be fluttering, and his hood will be up, and all of his powers will be powery. I think the only problems that I came into art wise were that strange creature about halfway through. Yeah, that's Colding in the future after his accident. See, I didn't necessarily catch the Doctor Doom, the Doctor Doom character. Yeah, the weirdness. But then there's also the moment where he reveals himself to himself. Mm-hmm. There, you know, to me, there had to be a moment there where you very clearly had two identical characters. Right. That really had to be done well. And if you look at it, there's a sequence, and the way it's laid out is brilliant. You see a, a shot of the two of them together. It's like they did it for television. You see a close-up of Ron, and then you see the Traveler taking off his mask right next to it. 
Yeah. So you can see, you know, it's that same face. But I didn't immediately twig to that and say, oh, my God, they are like the same guy. When I looked at it, I'm like, okay, I look at it again. I'm like, oh, okay, so they are, in fact, the same guy. I like the layout of that particular sequence, but I felt like the the resemblance in those two images, it it may have just been the aging effect that they put on, you know, the actor. I think that's 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 probably what it is, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I really liked... uh, I, I agree with you. There are sometimes where the angles are a little weird, um, and and I think especially in the first issue we see a lot of that when he's with the rescue scene with Danielle, which I think makes the 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 panels all, uh, really kind of dynamic. But at the same time, it kind of felt like somebody's trying too hard, mm. uh, kind of stuff. But again, it's the first issue, and you're trying to get people in on it. You do want to try hard, yeah. And uh, and you're trying to make it visually distinctive. Yeah, and I think that it succeeded there. I really think it succeeded there, and I think there's some really interesting, strong poses. It's not like you look at a character and you're just thinking in action when somebody's just standing there. Sometimes you look at characters and it's just like, well, that's just somebody standing. Uh, all the poses are dynamic. All of the all of the uh, character renderings have uh, a sense of energy behind them. Um, I I like the layouts. I like how you're mixing action in panel and expilling out of panel uh how we've got weird uh, panels that are tilted or lilted on on their side uh how we get this look of seeing two different timeline possibilities happening at the same time where you've Mm -hmm. got the character in the center and then on either side of them you've got the you know turn to page 22 or turn to page 57 right uh kind of aspect in that i I really kind of like that um and then i like how when they're doing action Harden's not afraid to show that character in three different poses as they're taking a tumble or as they're flipping through the air or doing whatever. Um, The one thing that I really, really, really like in this issue is the coloring. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, whether we're looking at a digital copy provided by the company or the actual real copy, um, the colors just pop out. I mean, I just, I don't know there are a lot of in lighting right now in video, the big hot thing to make things look really cool is kind of this Michael Bay transformers skyline effect where you mix the colors blue and orange. Mm -hmm. And so when I see people doing that in the comic book page, it seems to have a lot more life to it. Mm -hmm. And so the traveler is blue and all of his effects are blue and the Minutemen, most of their effects are green or orange and that color combination on the page, especially when you're doing good lighting effects to actually make it look like those luminous objects are casting light on the scene and you do a good job of that i think it just brings the entire page to life and i and i just really really thought that the uh the coloring in this issue was or in this four issue series was fantastic it it is funny how like your standard old school color wheel just comes in and out of fashion you know it's like oh blue and orange are the next thing you know like right after like green and purple were kicking around i guess Mm -hmm. um as far as the art, I really like it. I like what what I probably like most about the design of of the traveler. I like two things. One is that his hood is like it's it's very it makes him very expressive. Like mm-hmm. he basically gets just because he can pull the hood up and still has a mask, he basically has two costumes. Right. You know. I mean, you can do a lot with that. There's a lot. You know, when you need to see more face take the hood off when you need him to be all broody and stuff, put the hood on. It's not a big deal because it's not like... Uh, I can't think of anything right now. It's not like Cloak from Cloak and Dagger where right, right. his costume is the hood. Right. Um, right. And and then the other thing is that 
you know, I, I think it takes some guts to make a character whose superhero costume is blue on blue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's a risk, I think, and and I think it really pays off. It's a character that doesn't, even though you know, a belt, boots, skin tight outfit with with ridging and cape and cowl, all of those elements mm-hmm. we have seen before, and yet with the coloring and with the way that it's arranged, it looks different. It looks like a different guy. Yeah. I, I don't look at this guy and say, oh, well, he is. Doctor Midnight, or or I don't know, Space Ghost, or Red Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's clearly his own guy, and I like that. I like the art very much. I like the the faces on the characters are very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that uh, the you know it's I'm glad that the bus driver is kind of a fat guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I I think you know there's a lot of artists out there who draw pretty well and they do dynamic poses, but they can all only draw handsome well that's what i was gonna ask you know proper like very well proportioned people right and you know seeing you know old guys and and chubby guys and stuff like that kind of is is weirdly enough in comics that's how you show off yeah is like look at me i can draw a child right you know because some people can't some people just draw a very short teenager that's what i was gonna ask a couple of comments because you know sometimes it seems like everybody that we look at all the good characters are all these beautiful people right? right and all the bad guys are obviously these ugly, schlubby, scarry monsters, mm-hmm. right? But that's not what happens here. I mean, whole, um, Colding, until he turns evil, is not a bad-looking guy, right? right? He's got, or until he's yeah. revealed as the, as the big villain, is not a bad-looking guy. Um, when Matthew was doing the, the Carlos uh, Rafael uh, piece in, um, in uh, The Warlord of Mars, Dejah Thoris, same way, when you see the, the, the son or the prince of a Jed... Uh, he's a big fat guy and there's nothing, I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're slimming him down. He looks mm-hmm. like an overweight guy as an overweight guy would look without a right. shirt and pants on. Um, and so I, you're right. I do appreciate artists that take the time to go in and give us different sized characters, mm-hmm. not just only in proportion, but also in height. You know, when you can really make a character, Yep. You know, three heads taller than someone else. And still look proportioned. And make them fit in the same panel together. Mm -hmm. I forget which one I was reading a couple of weeks ago, over the last couple of weeks, where it was literally that. You had somebody that was probably 6'3", and another person that was 5'4", and they put them in the frame together, and it looked right. You know, in in comics right now, there's a lot of really good artists, and I think sometimes we take for granted stuff like that, but, like, it is difficult to have a scene in which one character's sitting and another one's standing Mm -hmm. sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, uh, really at no point did I think about it during this issue, which really speaks to the fact that, you know, there's characters running down hallways and characters jumping around and flying and doing all this stuff, but also characters sitting, Mm -hmm. talking, sleeping, Mm -hmm. and it always, always looks very natural. Excellent. Anything else, Matthew, that you want to add into this? I have not read any of the the additional issues past number four. No, neither have I. So, I'm not sure where the story is going, as far as this arc goes, I love the fact that it's a four-issue arc. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that we're not, you know, it's not six issues or bust, because six issues is how we fill out, you know, an appropriate size trade. I love the fact that it's not necessarily something we've seen a thousand times before. You know, we're, we're dealing with, I don't know, we're at a point now where every single comic book concept 
can be boiled down and saying, well, you've ripped off X that, uh, you know, Jack Kirby put together in 1973. There are forerunners of this, certainly. And there are mm-hmm. bits of it where you're just like, oh, okay, that kind of reminded me of this. But at, for the most part during this story, I was not thinking, this is like other comics. I wasn't thinking, you know, oh, this is like this movie or this is what, this is a Planet of the Apes time travel story, you know? I was thinking, right. okay, this is neat. Why are why is he doing all this? How is this going to come together? And I think that getting someone, you know, especially as I mentioned before, someone as genre savvy as I can be about a comic, getting someone to set that aside and just go, hey, you know, I enjoy that. There are some points. There's nothing that I ever look at that I say this is unpleasant or this flat doesn't work. There are points where the seams are a little more visible than maybe they should be. But I think that's also because the expectations in a book conceptualized by Stan Lee and written by Mark Wade are going to be a little higher. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know that there are major weaknesses so much as there are moments where I'm just kind of like, I wish that had been up to that that higher standard that I have in my head. Yeah. So bottom line, Matthew, for you is what? I would say check it out. Um, You may not want to rush right out in a buying frenzy. Obviously, you do have the option of checking it out from your local library. Now, is Boom making their stuff available digitally? Uh, Let us look here. I know they have the Boom app, but I haven't looked to see if these four are available in that format so while we're looking at for that rodrigo why don't you give us some thoughts and a final recommendation all right well like i said i i really like the art i like the character design in general for all of this it's a very it's a very cool book to look at the story fell flat for me though um it's i i think those seams that matthew referenced are just so obvious and totally stitched on the outside for me that I, I just lost it, and, and sometimes I felt that the book had a choice between do I build up this guy as a protagonist and a hero and somebody sympathetic, or do I have him make a funny joke about time travel and they, you know, we went for the time travel thing. And you know, not that there's no character development, but I felt that that was a little lacking for me. Um, all in all, I would say wait up on it see if the next few issues you know read maybe some uh reviews of it on major spoilers if we get them up and and uh see yeah, i think see the only what one the, we've reviewed is the first one right see well see what you hear about the next few issues if the if those turn out to be good because i get i get the sense that these four issues are kind of a number zero issue yeah, yeah altogether yeah. you know it's this it's a it's an origin story yeah and i want to see what an ongoing or, or or another arc of the traveler as the traveler is like mm-hmm. before i really you know fully commit to, to this book so i would i would give it a pass i, I really wasn't all that impressed with it okay. the series is up to eight issues right now the eighth mm-hmm. issue comes out this week today depending on when you're listening hello future people or people that are too late or on nine this. years ago nine years ago <laughs> um so you know you do have those first eight issues that you can go check out uh, we always have previews running up on the major spoilers website and rodrigo we do have the preview copies that you can pick up and, and read as well mm-hmm. matthew in regards to your question stanley's the traveler is available through the boom studios app the first five issues are available and they're priced at a dollar 99 a piece so a little bit cheaper than uh than cover price uh i'd have to look and see what the cover price is for the trade so it might be better to i think it's 11.99 
999 for the four issue trade. Um, so, nice. uh, you know, uh, two, four, six, eight. So you're saving a buck if you go the Boom Studios uh, digital comics route from Comixology if you have an iPad. Of course, you need to spend, what, $800 to get the iPad. Um, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed the story for what it was. Uh, I felt that it was um, um, typical at times. I thought that it was also interesting at times in how they were putting things together and how they played it out from beginning to end. Loved the art, thought the art was fantastic, and would probably continue to read the series just for the art alone mm-hmm. uh, if it continues to stay that uh, that great. Now, again, I need to read 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, I think uh, Scroll Brian has actually been reading most of these. Right. Um, I did have one comment, though, that I need to get to today. Uh, this is from Maximus Rift. Uh, since this is the first time in a while that I actually have the title re- you're reviewing the podcast, I thought I'd write in. In fact, I'm also reading Soldier Zero and Star- Starborn, both from uh, Stan Lee and both from Boom Studios. I first started buying these titles as an alternative to the Marvel and DC titles that no longer want- that I wanted to read. My satisfaction with all three varies, but since this is about The Traveler, I'll keep my comment more to that title. Since this is that title that deals with time travel by nature, the story starts out confusing. However, Wade keeps it interesting with the fights between the split second men and the confrontation with uh, Aberus. My only complaint about the writing is that it's pretty obvious who's, who Kronos is uh, early on, but the surprise at the end more than makes up for it. As for the art, I thought it was good. I like the design of both. The split second men and Kronos and the people seem well drawn to me. Overall, I feel this is a good book that is worth a read, with only with the only weakness being that it is very little fight sequences. It's not my favorite of the three Stan Lee books. That honor goes to Starborn, but has earned a spot on my pull list for now. And that is from Maximus Rift over on the Major Spoiler site and on the Major Spoilers forums. Thank you for writing in and providing some comment on that. I say try it out. That's nine bucks. I mean, that's uh, three Marvel comics. Well, is, is it even three Marvel comics? Three ninety nine. That's like two and a half Marvel comics. <laughs> And here you're getting four <laughs> issues for nine ninety nine. It's like uh, really about th- three issues of Spider Man, and you're only reading the uh, half of that third issue because mm-hmm. it's got two other stories in it. So uh, I say check it out. So can't go wrong. It's Mark Wade, right? All right, everybody. Uh, I think that just about wraps it up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. It's Thanks for being tight. part of the major spoilers experience. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about Top 10, Volume 1 from Alan Moore. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you real soon. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler
just like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah Major Spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2011. Aww.